a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to find the end of a double rainbow. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about pride in tabletop gaming. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Aura at Labora and On Tour. Then, we're celebrating Pride Month by highlighting games and people in gaming who fall on the LGBTQAI spectrum. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that we are going to be at Dice Tower Con in two weeks. Yay! So excited. <laughs> Very exciting. I know that con season started for other people with things like the UK Gaming Expo and Origins, <laughs> but it's officially Board Game Blitz's con season now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually did go to a convention over Memorial Day weekend too. But... Oh yeah, you went to KublaCon. <laughs> yeah, that was a local convention, so it didn't feel the same. And you and I were but not both there, but we're both going to be at Dice Tower yeah. Con. So if anyone else is going to be attending Dice Tower Con, make sure you come say hello to us. Please, please, mm-hmm. please do not be shy. We are happy to meet you, shake your hand, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, I got the chance to play Aura at Labora for the first time. Aura at Labora is designed by Uwe Rosenberg, and it was published in 2011. So it's an older game published by Lookout Games. And I've talked about Lahav before, I think, in my top 100 list and maybe mentioned it in a podcast before. But people have said that if you like Lahav, then you'll like Aura Labora. So Aura Labora has been on my want to play list for a long time. And I finally got around to playing it. Hooray! <laughs> and I did enjoy it. <laughs> so in Aura Labora... It's a resource building game. You're getting resources, making buildings, converting resources to other resources and points using the buildings. And you can use other people's buildings by paying those people. The way the resources work. So in a lot of resource games like Agricola and Lahav, there's there's spaces where you put your workers to get the resources and like each turn more resources come up. But in or at Labora, there's a rondelle. So there's a circle and then it rotates each turn so that the number increases. And then like when you do the action, you move that resource back to the beginning to zero and you get as many of the number that it has. So it's kind of like a similar end result in that you get all the resources and it goes to zero, but like each turn is a different number. So that that was interesting. And what I really liked about it is that in the buildings, you take the buildings and you have your own grid on your player board and the buildings are cards so you put them on your grid and there's a spatial aspect to it so there's two different types of points on each building there's regular points that you get but also points that only score if they're next to these special scoring buildings that you build like five of them throughout the game so you it was fun to plan out where to put the buildings that have those big scores because you want to put them around the scoring buildings and then you can also put the scoring buildings next to each other so that they score each other and I really like spatial things like that. So I wish I like our that. listeners at home could see right now that like you're kind of like physically like almost showing me how this works in the air and I, yeah. it's delightful and I wish that they could see it. <laughs> yeah, so I like that about Laura at Lapora. Lahav has like a similar feel, but there's no spatial aspect in Lahav. You just get the buildings and put them anywhere. But what I don't like as much about Aura at Labora is that the building cards are smaller and harder to see. <laughs> so if you're trying to use buildings across the table, it's hard to see what they do. And so it felt like there was less interaction in our game versus in Lahav. 
in the games that I've played of Lahav, I tend to use other people's buildings more, I think. So I like that part. But in Orat Labora, I think I only used someone else's building once in the whole game, and I was mostly using my own buildings. So I think I might like Lahav better than Orat Labora, but I still liked Orat Labora a lot, and I'm really glad I got to play it. I just want to hear you say Orat Labora a whole bunch more times. <laughs> Orat uh, Labora. <laughs> it's for, yeah, for those of you who are listening at home and don't want to look at the show notes, if you do want to Google it, it's three words, O-R-A-E-T. L-A-B-O-R-A. Yes. Uh, but it's, I, I am he's doing a bang up job of pronouncing it every time and I'm loving it. So, all right, cool. So I actually got this one in the mail a, a few months ago, I want to say, and I've played it a handful of times now with my game group, but I don't think I talked about it here on the show yet. And that is On Tour. So On Tour was released in 2019, designed by Chad Deshawn and published by BoardGameTables.com, which is the site that Chad runs. So he's, uh, in addition to making really cool board game tables, he also is publishing games now. In fact, He's now published, I think he had another Kickstarter of his just wrapped up not too long ago. I've backed two or three of his games on Kickstarter. But On Tour is a roll and write game where you are taking on the persona of a band that is touring the United States to perform in a number of different states. And you want to make sure that your tour is the most successful and the biggest and the coolest. So you're trying to get to as many cities as possible on your map. Every player has a dry erase map of the United States in front of them. And the, uh, there are a whole bunch of these little areas, these circles that you can go to, or these spaces that you can go to in the different states that are all connected by lines. And then the sections of the board are sectioned off into regions as well. So you have like the north, the south, the central, the east, the west. And so on a player's turn, they take two dice, which are these giant sized D10s, hmm. and they roll them. And then based on the numbers that come up, you have now formed two different two-digit numbers. So for instance, if you rolled a 1 and a 9, you have a 19 and a 91. Those two numbers, every single player has to write onto their player board somewhere. And the places that they're allowed to write them are based on three cards that get drawn at the beginning of every round, showing different regions of the map. So you can use those three cards and the two numbers and you write the numbers down on your map. At the end of the game... You've written down all of these numbers. You're trying to connect the longest line possible where the numbers go up in value. So from the lowest to the highest. And you can't ever cross your own path. So you're trying to like place numbers that are near one another, near one another physically on the map. But sometimes the numbers that get rolled aren't what you were looking mm -hmm. for exactly. And so you kind of have to find ways to finagle things together. Also, if doubles get rolled or if the three cards that come up all match the, the same region, then that's that round, um, everybody gets to write a star instead of the numbers. And that's considered kind of a wild. So that can help you. You can also write the same number next to itself. So that's the only mm -hmm. way you can break the ascension rule is you can have like a 17 next to a 17. And literally that's it. The turns don't really mean anything. There's nothing different for the active player compared to the passive players. It's just passing the dice around so everybody gets to do something. Um, you could theoretically have one person roll the dice every time and it wouldn't make a difference. But it's 
easy to play and very difficult to do well at unless you're like really good at maybe like Ambi, like you, you're good at that spatial kind of stuff, like picking out like, oh, these cities are connected. So if I put this number here, then I'll be able to connect those two cities if whatever. I've gotten pretty okay at it. Uh, but this is one of those games that like the first time people play it, they tend to like halfway through the game have that moment of, oh no, oh no, I've ruined everything. <laughs> uh, on the region cards, there is also always a highlighted state. And if you place the number in the state that's highlighted in the region, you get to circle it, which gives you additional bonus points at the end of the game. And then the player with the most points at the end wins. Really straightforward, simple. The box is ridiculously big and the player boards are too. So unfortunately, I love putting roll and write games into my quiver and this one will never fit. <laughs> uh, so, and I, so this one is like, I don't take it to game night as much because of its size, which is kind mm. of a bummer. I might consider trying to like, scan the player boards and like print out a smaller version and just take smaller yeah. dice and some pencils but the, I mean, <laughs> yes but for the record the giant folding dry erase boards are really really nice i love them it's just i wish the game was a little bit more travel friendly <laughs> uh and it's not so i like it i'm gonna be playing it a lot i it's hard for me to find a roll and write game i don't like nowadays but that is on tour For this week's thematic segment, we are celebrating Pride Month. It is June, which is uh, commonly recognized, at least in the United States, I'm actually not sure, maybe worldwide, as Pride Month, which is a celebration of the LGBTQAI community. For those of you who aren't aware, uh, generally Pride is centered around the positive stance against discrimination and violence toward LGBT people to promote their self-affirmation, dignity, equal rights, increase their visibility as a social group, build community, and celebrate diversity and variance. So we wanted to contribute to that. I am part of the LGBT community, and I, there are a lot of people in board games who are, as well as a lot of very cool games who have incorporated LGBT elements into either their artwork or their gameplay. And so we just wanted to shout some of that stuff out as a way of celebrating Pride Month. There are a couple newer storytelling type games that are very friendly toward LGBT community and two of them that come to the top of my head are Fog of Love and Legacy of Dragonholt. Oh yeah. So Fog of Love is a two-player like role-playing type game. Yeah, it's a relationship <laughs> simulator. Yeah. They say they say it's like a romantic comedy in a box. Yes. But basically you can choose what gender you are and you're in a relationship with the other player and you're choosing different decisions to make. And it's very open-ended, I think. Yeah, you usually have goals that you're working toward. I've finished all of the scenarios in the mm -hmm. base game. Now, I haven't gotten through the expansions yet, although I do own them. But yeah, like there are cards that specifically deal with LGBT-related things. And they actually consulted with uh, Nikki Valens, who we're going to mention later in the episode again, to make the base game even more LGBT friendly, which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. Speaking of Nikki Valens, the <laughs> yes. other game you mentioned. Legacy of Dragonholt, which is a another role-playing game, choose-your-own-adventure storybook game. Um, that one I have played through once. And in that, there's a lot of side stories and things going on. And I don't know if this is spoilers. Well, yeah, I guess maybe maybe we shouldn't. So there are there are characters 
in this world who would be considered yeah. to be on the LGBT spectrum. And we will only be non-specific so as not to spoil the story. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's very clear. And again, Nikki Valens designed this one. So yeah. And it's also just treated normally, which is great. I mean, it, it seems like, like that should be the case yeah, I all know, the but time. Like, but like, yeah, I know. It's weird that like we have to call out that like the fact that they treat people who love each other is just a normal thing. But mm-hmm. like that's important. And yeah. it really makes a big difference to people in the community to see stuff like that. That it isn't played for like shock value or humor. Yeah. It's just like they exist. And that's cool. So I have never played Android Netrunner, but I know you have, right? Yes, I used, used to play to. a lot. <laughs> and I, so I've never played it, so I haven't gotten to see this content, but I have been told that there are a lot of characters in the Android Netrunner universe who are gender diverse, including some who are mm-hmm. agender, gender fluid, and even trans, um, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, um, I don't actually know, like... I don't pay attention to what all the characters are all the times, but I know there, there's like a wide variety of characters because it's set in the futuristic world, like futuristic here. And there's like people of all different types, like races and genders and orientations, I guess. So yeah, lots of diverse characters. Yeah. I think people bring this one up frequently as a really mm-hmm. good example of how to have, again, people just exist in the, the world of a game. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, it's discontinued. <laughs> I know. that's Everybody's bummed about it. And it's one of those games that I'm like, ooh, it makes me want to play it, though. But I'm sure I'll be able to grab it at yeah. some point. So, so then, like, those games are, it's a little bit more, like, widely known. and But there are little bits and pieces in other games that I think are good to call out. So Dead of Winter, The Long Night, which was the not sequel, but kind of like follow-up to regular Dead of Winter, does include a trans character named Hugo Valentine, and the flavor text in one, on one of the cards specifically addresses their trans nature, and I think that's pretty cool. Hmm, cool. Yeah, I hadn't played The Long Night. I just played the normal one. But even in the normal one, there's lots of diverse characters, so... I'm yeah, diversity surprised. is something that yeah, and actually we'll get we'll mention that the designer of the Dead of Winter games is going to be listed later on as well. <laughs> you'll you'll note that diverse people make diverse games, and that is a pretty cool thing. Yep. Another game that I got to play with you actually a few years ago um, is Pursuit of Happiness, and that one there aren't really like characters with backstories, but you're playing a character and you get to choose relationships you have with people so once again you get to pick what you want yeah and all of the all of the cards in the relationship deck are double-sided mm-hmm. one side yeah. is male and one side is female and they're identical for the functions of the mechanics of the game so you get to choose whether you want to date the the blue side of the card or the pink side <laughs> of the card and yes the colors are you know gender stereotypical whatever but it's still really neat that the game just says Pick who you want. Also, you can technically date multiple people at the same time within the confines of the game as well. So for people who like polyamory, like there's actually that aspect as well, which is kind of neat. There's another game that's coming out, I think this year, I don't believe it's released yet, called Dance Card, which is about finding people to dance with at like... I think a school dance is kind of the theme of it, Mm. but I have been told that the characters kind of all, you know, they're like younger and they have crushes on each other. And it's definitely (laughs) very friendly in the types of 
people that people are attracted to. And the artwork is also very diverse. It's very bright and colorful and very cool. So I'm excited to check out Dance Card when it comes out. Cool. Yeah, and another one with lots of characters that you can play is just the Arkham Horror universe in general. Uh, there's lots of diverse characters in those Arkham Horror series games that you can play as, including some who are in the LGBT community. Yeah, I, I have not played enough of the expansions and like other content for all of those games to know. But I, when I looked online at lists of games with LGBT content in them, uh, this stuff for like Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror, and I think even Elder Sign, uh, similar mm-hmm. things kept popping up. So I, I think that there's a lot of stuff in that universe that is at least mentioned offhandedly or mm-hmm. alluded to, um, which is pretty neat. So yeah, it's really neat that game designers are starting to include more of the LGBT community into their games and not just in ways where like not in games where love and relationships are the core mechanism Mm -hmm. like pursuit of happiness where you're having a relationship with somebody or fog of love where like it is a relationship simulator but stuff like legacy of Dragonhold, where you're just wandering around a world Mm -hmm. and encountering people like that kind of stuff is neat and it's really important and it just makes the world's like richer tapestries of the human experience so yeah uh yeah a game doesn't have to have love in it to have lgbt (laughs) people in it yeah and like arkham horror and android netrunner that's like far from having love in it right like those yeah you're you're attacking people and kind of going to war and fighting off you know like cthulhu (laughs) but it's not just games that make up LGBT representation in the board game community, there are a whole lot of people who uh, do that as well. And since we were just talking about games, we can talk about some game designers and artists. And I will say up front, before I start naming any names, that I've done an extensive amount of research to try and ensure that everyone that we're about to speak about has spoken about their own experience online publicly in some way. Um, and a lot of people have preferred pronouns and that's a very important thing to note. And I have tried to make sure that I'm aware of that stuff uh, and I will do my best to not mess up uh, any preferred pronouns. But if I do, I sincerely apologize. It is not something I am trying to do uh, intentionally. So just know that going in, I'm gonna do my best. Also, uh, sorry if we butcher pronunciations of names. We're not the best at pronouncing names. Yeah, Um, a couple of the last (laughs) names on this list, I'm already worried that I'm going to mess up. But yes, a couple of designers we actually mentioned when we were talking about the games are Isaac Vega and Nikki Valens, and they're part of the LGBT community. Yeah, Isaac designed the Dead of Winter games and some other stuff for Plaid Hat. And then Nikki uh, has worked on Legacy of Dragonholt, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, the new new edition (laughs) of Arkham Horror. So lots of stuff. And uh, no longer working for Fantasy Flight, but at least has one game coming out this year called Quirky Circuits. um, And I know is working on some other stuff as well. Cool. Also, our new logo, I guess it's not as new anymore, but (laughs) it's kind of new, was designed by Rebecca Ruhlman, who is part of the LGBT community. Uh, Her Twitter handle is Quirdcast, Q-U-E-R-D-C-A-S-T. And she is actually also working on um, a new online magazine that's coming soon called A Seat at the Table that's going to be helping to spread diversity and amplify marginalized voices in gaming. So if you search on Twitter, uh, actually, let me see if I can pull up the Twitter handle for that account. 
at A-S-A-T-T underscore magazine on Twitter. They, uh, they tweeted not too long ago saying that they're reviewing final drafts. So they're, they're almost released and that's pretty exciting. So some other game designers that you may be slightly less aware of, depending on what types of games you play. Uh, Morgane Guyan Rutti designs coin games. And we've mentioned them on the show before, but coin games are counterinsurgency games. So they are a type of war game. Is that correct? Or is that so. a separate I've, I've genre? I haven't played any. I haven't <laughs> either. I feel like I'm, I'm not knowledgeable about, but coin yeah. games is the type of games that Morgane designs. And then Rachel Simmons uh, designs war games specifically and has previously designed under the name, I'm going to mispronounce this, Bowen. Bowen. Um, and normally I would not use someone's prior name, but they have uh, stated publicly online that for their previous game designs that it is okay to reference that name because it is a brand that they have built up. Mm. So Rachel Simmons is her current and accurate and legal name, but some of the games that they designed were under a different name. Another board game designer is Alice Davis, who has designed Dinos Not Assembled and Kitten Clash and Thieves Den. I've actually played Kitten Clash. It's a fun speed game. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dinos Not Assembled was getting demoed at Dice Tower West by a ton of people, and it looked like people were really enjoying it. Then we uh, could also mention Aaron Vanderbeek, who designed Castell, my favorite game of 2018. I'm still hoping to see more from him in the future, for sure. Mm-hmm. Another designer is Talon Lee, and I actually found a very specific comment from him online that explains what he does, and I'm going to let him speak in his own words in that regard. So he's made about 30 different games informed by a variety of queer inclusivity, always including or always involving queer designers and artists. So he is very cognizant of that kind of thing, and that's pretty cool. Another board game designer is Bez Shahurari. She's designed Wibble Plus Plus and a bunch of other games. And she also has a podcast, a radio talk show um, that I was actually a guest on a few months ago, I think. Maybe last year. <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> I know. That is truth, if, if nothing else, for sure. One more that we're going to throw out there is Peter Hayward, who has designed a whole bunch of games. Uh, I think one of the most well-known is probably The Lady and the Tiger. I want to say, I, well, I know I've heard of it, so I assume it's <laughs> one it. of the most well-known. Uh, he has others, though, Dracula's Feast and Village Pillage, but lots and lots of different games from him. Mm-hmm. So now that we've run down all, well, all, <laughs> a very small list of LGBT game designers, let's talk about some content creators. Yay. One podcast that we've actually mentioned on the show before is Board Games in Bed, which is by Kelly and Becky. Then there's a blog run by couple Amy and Fiona called The Game Shelf, which you all should check out. Then there's Danny and Derek do board games that have done videos on the Dice Tower and they have their own YouTube channel as well. And they're also very active on Twitter. If you want to like vote in board game centric polls, their Twitter (laughs) is definitely the place to be. Um, And then we've got Theo, who is uh, known as Geeky Gamer Guy, and gamer is spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R, and he does video content on the Dice Tower and on his own channel as Mm -hmm. well on YouTube. And then there's Bebo, who runs Be Bold Games. She makes YouTube videos, really nice videos. Oh my gosh, her stuff is just the best. Mm-hmm. I, it's so good. Uh, if people ever need a preview video for a Kickstarter or like anything else related to board games and videos, like she's a great one to hit up for sure. 
Then there's Angelus Morningstar, who is known as the Storyboard Gamer, who has a podcast and also does blogging as well. And then there's Marty and Sarah from Open Seat Gaming, who, which is a blog. Then you've got the Men on Board podcast. And then another blog, the Cloak and Meeple. And Ava Foxfort does the games news over for Shut Up and Sit Down, which is a website, a YouTube channel, a podcast, all of the things. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. their games news is run mm. by her. And then there's Katie Aidley. I think she does a lot of different things. I've seen some videos and some blogs from her. Um, she plays war games. And like, in general, all of these people are really good champions for inclusivity and diversity mm-hmm. in games. So Ambie's not going to hate me for this, but we're going to try and link to as many of these people in the show notes <laughs> as we can, um, because we want to make sure that you all have an opportunity to go check their stuff out as well, because it's important and it's very cool. Mm-hmm. So... Obviously, this li- these lists were not all inclusive. We uh, mentioned as many as we could in our short 30-minute time span, but there are probably some very well-known people or games that we didn't mention. And if that is the case, send us an email, tweet at us, let us know, and we will shout about them in some other fashion, whether that's retweeting on Twitter or just letting people know. But we want to make sure that we are supporting people in the community who are contributing to its diversity and making sure that everybody has a voice and everyone has, as the blog we just mentioned and the upcoming online magazine would say, a seat at the table. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Pull up the anchor and get ready for battle, because Reavers of Midgard is setting sail this fall. If you love Champions of Midgard, you won't want to miss this thrilling sequel. Grey Fox Games. Quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider, or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitz computers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, and the games will turn them inside out, yeah, and floating around in diversity, so don't stop me now don't stop me because we're having a good time having a good time bye everyone bye visit our website boardgameblitz.com for video and blog content as well as to get links 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 <laughs> get some links <laughs> technical support for Gosh, I can't, I can't read today. Okay. Morning recordings never go. Wait, no. We no, always do no, morning. Like evening recordings, recordings don't go out. <laughs> oh. Or, no, no, it's midday. That's why. We don't, midday is weird. I don't know. But Everything's it's, weird. it's still morning. Yeah, technically. <laughs> okay. It's alliteration time, everyone. This week's alliteration puzzle is coming up. But for our last one that we did in episode 81, we asked you to retheme a pastoral tile-laying game for cautious and methodical people who work with wood. What game was that, Ambi? That was Careful Carpenter Carcassonne. Yeah, we had some correct guesses on that one, I know. So for this week, we are asking you to retheme a kind of depressing game with transparent cards for illuminated hand coverings. Good luck, everyone!